Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Today on My Millennial Money, I'm talking with Anne. We're doing a My Millennial story about her story. She's a single mom out of Melbourne. And I really wanted to do this as a bit of a surprise to John and Emily without telling them. I wanted to do this episode to allow you, our community, to hear a real life testimony without John or Emily from My Millennial Property being involved what the value of paying for professional advice is. So, you'll hear that in this episode and more. Also, if you are new to the My Millennial Money podcast, you can follow us on Instagram. We've got a Facebook group. And if you are in consumer debt and you want to get out of consumer debt, you can head to mymillennial.money and we've got a complimentary online course, how to get out of debt at no cost. So, you can really start to get intentional with getting out of consumer debt. Let's have a listen to Anne today. If you love the My Millennial stories and you think you've got a good story to tell, why don't you email team at sortyourmoneyout.com and we'll see what we can do. Let's get it on. Annie, you're 40 years old. You're a single mother of two. And you're living in Melbourne. You've been a long time listener of My Millennial Money. Thanks for joining us on the main deck today. Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. It's good to be here. Now, we bumped into each other uh, by weird chance in Melbourne uh, a couple of months ago. And you started sharing a little bit about your story. And I thought, stop right there. We will get a microphone in front of you and you can tell me your story because I think people will benefit. And just for those who are new to the podcast, these stories, I like to call them my millennial story because we've all got a story and we can always learn from other people's stories, the good, the bad. And there's even some questions here that I've dug up from the Facebook group to randomly ask Annie. Uh, But I just want to set the scene. Just tell me snapshot right now today, what does your life look like? Who are you? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And then I might press reverse and we might just go backwards a little bit. Then we'll talk about how we got where we are now. And then we might talk about your goals for the future. Okay. Uh, I am a writer. I work in content communications. Um, I'm living in the north of Melbourne um, in a little old house with my two little girls who are six and three. Um, and a geriatric schnauzer who's blind and deaf. Um, so my life is a lot of uh, wrangling kids and moving the dog physically from room to room so he's comfy. Um, I like to make things. I really like figuring stuff out. So I'm always like acquiring new hobbies. So total homebody, grow food, pickle things, make wine and beer, looking forward to salami season. That That's kind of me. We said at the top, you're single mother of two. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to throw some random questions at you and then we'll see if um, we can 
fall into some trouble along the way. How long have you been uh, separated from your partner? Exactly a year. Okay. Actually a year and, today. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, big day. There you go. Yeah. And I guess how long were you with your partner before you decided to separate? Sure. Um, I was with my ex-partner for a long time. We met when we were in our mid-20s. Um, so we really did that that classic, you know, meet uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, got married within a couple of years, joined all of our finances, had a couple of kids, um, and we were together for, I don't know, 14, 15 years. Yeah. And, like, at what point, because I like to ask this question because – The way I see it, I've heard stories of people being with somebody, they're not happy, it goes on forever, Mm. and then they finally part ways and like, oh, I should have done that so long ago. For you, what was that experience? Was there, we grew apart or was there a sudden thing and it's like, I can no longer trust you, I'm out Mm. of here? Like, was there a straw that broke the camel's back? What was the process like for you? And I ask these questions uh, for our listeners uh, that they can perhaps learn from and maybe resonate with some of the stuff you're saying. I think for sure it was slow. Um, No, it was definitely slow for us. There was no one moment where we realised it wasn't working. Um, But I think it was one of those classic things you meet when you're young, you become different people and you learn about one another. And I think over the years we really learned that there were just fundamental different things we wanted out of life um, different things we enjoy, different things that stressed us out. Money was one of those things, very different attitudes to money. And a lot of life was holding us together. We, we loved one another. Um, there was no one big, no one cheated on anyone else. It was just, you grow and you learn. And I, and I don't really think that every relationship is meant to last forever. Um, I certainly don't think of our relationship as failed in any way. Um, we grew together and then we grew apart. And um, unfortunately, we were lucky enough to separate without any great hatred. And we now live really close together. We're, we're both in the same suburb and the kids can ping back and forth between our houses. And that looks much better than I thought it might too. I grew up with this vision of kids in separated households as a tragedy. Um, and, and I think that that's not necessarily the case. So it's been a lovely journey of figuring out co-parenting and living lives that are somewhat connected and always will be, um, but separate. And we can move on and have different relationships. What were your primary values when it comes to money? And I say were, I mean, it should be what is, because a lot of the money values that we have really don't change unless- you know, we had these light bulb moments like, oh, I've got to stop living off consumer debt or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, so for you, what was or is your values with money and how was that different from your partner? And was there anything that is like, look, this is actually, this is now being a, a non-starter. Like, this is not working. Mm. This is oil and water here. That's actually surprisingly easy to answer. I've thought about this a lot. I'm a saver and I've always wanted to own my own home. That's always been incredibly important to me because I'm on that homebody. You know, I want that garage. I want that space to do hobbies. I want to build things and learn how to grout and render and and I'm quite risk averse. So I'd rather have money in a savings account growing but not have the opportunity of the huge, you know, moment of stocks tripling. Um, and he is much more comfortable with risk and didn't really share that dream, would rather... 
approach stocks rather than housing. I think the best example of this, these different money attitudes being a problem, uh, when we met when we were young, he used to take me out to breakfast and he was he came across as so generous and he is, he's like a very generous person. And I experienced that as love and care because I didn't do that for myself. But we didn't interrogate what that looked like long-term. So if you pass that out over the years, he holds money quite lightly and wants to share it and wants to enjoy it in the moment. You know, I'm alive, this is one day, I want to have a great time um, and I want to save for the future. So then you've got a Friday night. He wants to go out and have an amazing um, time and experience something new and I want to stay in and cook together and what that ends up looking like is either we're out but he knows that I'm not having a great time because I'm worried about the you know all the money that we're spending or we're at home and I'm cooking and I know he's not having a good time because he'd rather be out and he feels stuck like that's there's no fun there's we just couldn't figure that out but just on that like I've joked for a little while with my team that I want to change the name of this podcast from My Millennial Money to More Than Money because yeah. it's never about the money. And it's never about the we, money, but it's so much about we, the money. Yeah, but like if you if we both said that both of you both had $5 million cash in the bank, you still are going to be a homebody, right? Yeah. And he's still going to go out and want to be the social butterfly and live that life. So, right. to a point, I think there would still always be this clash of we've got different ways that we like to spend time yeah. with each other and time as leisure, right? Absolutely. Like I used to be like, it's so good because he'll drag me out because, you know, I should be getting out more. And as I get older, I'm like, you know what? Like I don't I don't want to. I, I just want to stay in and make stuff and like that's valid. And he wants to get out there and live his best life in the world and I want that for him too. Um, so it's a recognition that we weren't making each other happy and that we'd be better off with other people. Was there much of an age difference? No, only a couple of years. We were both yeah. babies when we met, really. It's funny that because how you described him is how you describe me with money. Yeah. Um, I'm a spender. I yep. hold money loosely. I'm quite generous. You want to live I think your life, a, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And there's a but coming. But I actually worked out. A long time ago, you know, doing an own or my own autopsy on my own money, it's like, well, actually, this has got to stop at some point and I actually have to save and look after future Glenn. It doesn't mean I can't be spendy and can't be generous, but it just means I need to be controlled and balanced and scratch the spending itch, not with maybe $100, but with $10. So, for me, it was a bit of a journey and I'd spent lots of time with a psychologist working out who I am and, and why I do certain things. Uh, but it's funny, Annie, like I wrote an article and I think I did a podcast just recently on on this main show actually about relationships. And I was asked in an interview, like when you meet somebody, what are the, some of the signs that look for? And I said, it's interesting to look for signs, you know, someone could be spendy and someone could be generous because usually if you're a spender, you are more generous, but then you've got to look, is it with debt? Yeah. Is it at the expense of their own future? Um, so, I mean, this is all complex stuff, right? And I would say, having listened to your story a bit on the podcast, um, I think you should temper your own 
story there because I know of the work you put in to get your first property and mm. that w- was sacrifice and it's like what I'm, I was trying to do that. I really wanted a home and, um, and I think there's spending and there's generosity and there's prioritising your future and what you talk about over time looks more like that. Also, you know, I've needed to do stuff like I have a special savings account just for spending money because I have to push myself to live, you know, to actually do fun stuff. Uh, so I've got a little upsaver like on just fun money and I've made my, I've had to make myself comfortable with this money is for blowing on pleasure. You have to spend that, live your damn life. Yeah, because spenders often don't need permission to spend, but savers need permission to spend their hard-earned money, right? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, I want to actually do something a little bit different. For those who have a copy of my book, on page 70 of Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, there's a diagram of my sound financial house. And what I want to do is I want to go through the four foundations and- the floor of the house, the walls of the house, the investing for the future of the house, and just ask people how they do each part of the sound financial house. Because sometimes when we've just found out about this money thing, and if you're new to the podcast, welcome, thanks for being here, we might have things in our financial life that are already done, are in order. We might be doing other things where we need to slow down and, you know, rearrange and prioritize. So, if we have a look, foundation one spending plan how do you manage money week on week? And I will say, um, we heard the magical two-letter word before. Uh, Just tell us (laughs) what you're doing for work. Okay, so complete transparency. Get your freaking free plug-in. Go on. (laughs) Get my freak on. Okay. Um, I I work it up, uh, up banking, and um, I actually was a complete up nerd um, before I joined because I am also a budgeting freak. I love to have my money organized. So even before I started working on up, I had my 50 savers all mapped out. So the way I do my budget, I have it worked out for the year. Um, I do have an Excel spreadsheet, which tells me like all of the things I'm going to have to spend money on. So, you know, my car rego, my, um, money for my kids, like, all of these different things have um, bills, money, like they all have a different saver. And then my money goes into my main account. Every Monday um, up puts a weekly budget like, into those savers. So um, I was talking about having some fun money. Every week some money goes into that fun money account, but it's also going to the rego account and the health account. So then I know whatever is in that fun money account, I could blow it all tomorrow. I don't have to worry about it. Guilt-free. Yeah, guilt-free. Guilt-free. Like that's really important to me is that I know I have that safety of the things that are going to come up that are going to scare me if if I'm not ready. I'm actually ready. I'm totally prepped. Um, And I have that total comfort level in, okay, and and I'm also going to go out to dinner tonight and buy myself a new jacket because I want it. So you are saying in terms of your foundation one, your spending plan money system is nailed. You've got a system, you've got a process. It's somewhat automated that removes you from the process. Yeah, that's what I use up for. Like the automated, um, it just pulls money out of my main account and put it puts it in my savers. So, and yeah, then I just cover cool. any payments from there. Foundation two, cashed up and debt free. What's your relationship been like with consumer debt? 
Hate it. Won't touch it. Have never touched it. If I don't have the cash, I can't afford it. Full stop. For those, and we get this question asked sometimes on Instagram and the Facebook group, consumer debt is debt that you borrow to consume things. So think credit cards, personal loans, buy now, get screwed, but buy now, pay later. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, all that fun stuff, GE finance for a tacky lounge that you want. So, okay, so you're debt-free. In terms of cash up, we talk about an emergency fund. Do you have a, a cash buffer aside for emergencies? Yes, I do. So, every week, 50 bucks goes into my emergency fund and I just do my absolute darndest never to touch it. So, right. I've got uh, about 10 grand in there now. Um, what are you targeting? Kind of, I'd like to have, I think I worked it out at like uh, 20, which is pretty ambitious, but like that would cover me if something if I was out of work for a few months, like I could live pretty frugally on that and be just fine. Um, and that gets me through to say when uh, like life insurance would start kicking in. So again, that's the safety level. That said, I'm not feeling urgent about that. I don't expect that to happen. I'm just kicking a bit in every week, you know? So, okay. So that's interesting. So you're of the view that I'll cash flow my emergency fund in concert with other financial savings? Well, that's sitting in an offset on my mortgage. Yes. But are yep. you saving for other things at the moment as well? Or how do you prioritize? Like, because, and again, I don't honestly care what anyone else does with their money. I just say what I do. And, you know, it's a personality play, but yeah. I'm like, I'll just meet my emergency fund, get that nailed, then I'll move on and save for the Italy trip or something like that. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd rather um, because it's it doesn't feel like an exciting thing for me to save for. Uh, <laughs> and if I'm not, it's not. It's like emergency funds, the reason people don't have them is because they're boring and yeah. you don't want to think about it. So that's why it's like a little bit, 50 bucks, um, and then another 50 will go like, I am excited about buying a bike. And like I can split that and feel comfortable. I don't feel a need to have like a fire hose pointed at one thing and then another. Um, that said, most of my spare money right now goes to my house. Yeah. Okay. Foundation three protection plan. You mentioned life insurance before. You've got income protection set up over your life? I do. Yes. I have all of the things in my, mostly in my superannuation. Yeah. Nice. So what was the process and I guess for you and setting up that protection plan? Like, mm -hmm. did that happen before you were separated? After? Do you have this new sense of I've got to really provide for the girls yeah. more so yeah. like just talk to us about those feelings of um what your life feels like now oh that's that really reminds me of like the, the first few days after the split like a lot of the feelings and a lot of the weeks after the split were thinking about money like I'm in such a privileged position as a woman leaving a marriage because so many women like can't like physically can't leave because they're dependent or they leave with little to nothing. Um, I, ha I am so lucky to be in a, a place where all I had to do was make sure it was okay. So, you know, good job, worked hard on it, got my, got my stuff and got it protected. So all I had to do really was get it in order. And I loved doing that because living with a spender who lives in the moment, you don't actually have that opportunity to sit down and be like, let's talk about superannuation and life insurance. Like we didn't have a plan. I, I love having a plan. So I got to spend a whole day going through my superannuation. God, I'm a dork. Like going through my superannuation, going, okay, 
what's covered here? What happens when? Like how many months do I have to cover with my with my emergency if something goes wrong? What happens if um, if I die or am disabled? What happens to my money? Do the girls get it automatically or not? Like all of that stuff. I spent probably over a few months, I probably spent a week's worth of time doing the super, doing my will, like reorganizing it. But in the end, I love having that certainty. I love having a plan and I love knowing what the plan is. So totally worth the time. Like do it now if you can. Don't wait to be (laughs) split. Just go for it. It feels good to know what's going to happen in in the event that something does go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to know more information about, you know, that foundation three and a protection plan, you can jump back and have a listen to episode 414. Finally, foundation four, wills and estate plan, you touched on it. Mm. You you updated your will when you separated or did you have, did you not have one before? I did not have one before. Interesting. So, how have you set up your will and estate plan at the moment? Uh. Right now, everything goes to my girls, um, and that's in the stewardship of my brother, who is a delightful money nerd. Um, he's the kind of guy, when I said I was house shopping, who sent me an Excel spreadsheet of all the cost and balances and the rent. Uh, it, yeah, he, he knows what he's doing, and I feel like if something happens to me, he would look after my money carefully for my girls and also teach them about money, which I I would just love for them to have that vision of finance and how to set themselves up safely. I think you can give that to them. So, all of that's written in. Okay. So, if we move to the slab of the house, your superannuation, who's that with? Um, That is with uni super. I used to work for a a university, which was a great situation because they're a great fund in my, you know, in my experience, they've treated me really well. Um, they match as well, don't they? Or they pay more than the 10%? If you're working at a uni, there was a time when it was 17%. I think that's no longer yeah. the case for most contracts, but I got to ride that for a few years and that was great. Love it. Now, with your super, how is that invested? Do you know conceptually what the um, investment option is? I know that I've got it aggressively for growth. Okay. Um, yeah. So, interesting, just on that, like your personality is conservative. Yeah. You understand the comfort you've got a, a level of understanding about investing for the future to have your superannuation in growth. I think probably because of where I work now, um, mm. working with all these people who do know about money, I knew to go back and check the past performance of the fund and compare it to other funds and compare it also to investing my money freely in the stock market. I know enough about myself to know that if I just chuck it in the stock market on things that look good to me, I either do poorly or panic, assume I'd done the wrong thing and pull it out. Um, so I am just funneling in to the max amount that I can afford to a fund that looks like it's done pretty dang well over a long period of time and going, you know what, put a pin in it, don't think about it anymore, let that just grow. And are you putting any more money in other than the 10% that your employer pays in? Uh, I have been, yes. Um, I actually lost a bunch of super, which uh, (laughs) know that if you leave a marriage, your super is something gets divided as well. Um, So mine used to be pretty healthy. It's still fine. Um, But I am trying to build that up again 
uh, to a point where I feel like it's more, yeah, just to, to that point where I feel like I've got a comfortable retirement coming. And your previous relationship, like, did you both own a property or were you renting? We were renting. We could right. never agree on buying the property. Like back right. to that square, you know, mm. square pig round hole. We could never really get to the point emotionally where we could go, yep, we're ready to buy together. And just on that, like you mentioned that the superannuation uh, got touched with the settlement. Mm. Like was there a, a thing where it's like, well, we've got some cash savings. I'll take the cash in my own name. You can have some of my super or how did that work? Um the end of a relationship is a lot emotionally, but like, I feel like we, we did it pretty well, but we just went, okay, straight down the middle. And that went for the super as well. You know, make sure that yep. both of our balances were exactly the same and we're both set up for success. And that means we can both go and work and have comfortable places for our kids to work. Here's the thing, Glenn, like when you have kids, if I left him with nothing, my kids have a terrible place to live and an unstable, like half their lives. Like his financial success is mine and vice versa, even if we're not sharing any money from today. Mm. Are, are the kids um, like 50-50 staying at each other's house? Yes, they are. Yeah. Each other's homes? Yeah. Yeah, they ping back and forth every couple of days. And just on the um, kids' expenses, do you both still have a shared bank account that you put money into for kids or when things come up, you just go, all right, we're just splitting that? How does that work? Um, we use the uh, the up has a two up um, account. So, we're, we're both upsiders and we have a two up where you see every person can see what goes in and what goes out and it marks who's spent what. So, if like this morning he paid for our zoo membership and it had a little picture of him on that expense. And I got a notification to the phone. So there's total clarity. Like we have this joint account. We're not using it as a loving couple. We're using it as people who need the total clarity of like, I put in $2,000, you put in $2,000, childcare cost 450. Like we have that all laid out. Um, and we just use that for anything that we share. Mm, cool. We're going to take a quick break and pay the light bill and then we're going to come back and talk about what Annie's doing right now uh, with the home that she's got, how she got there and, yeah, we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click Get Help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click Get Help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
All right, Annie. Okay. We've just gone through the foundations of the sound financial house. We talked about your superannuation, your cash flow. In the sound financial house, the walls of the house are our lifestyle goals, right? Mm. And a lifestyle goal could be, you know, starting a business, starting a family, you know, l- looking to travel. It could be buying a home. It could be I want to pay down extra on my home because I value that. And then the roof of the home is investing for the future. Now, you're 12 months out of the relationship. Things have now, I guess, is your new norm. Yeah. And you've got yourself a property. I do. It's very exciting. So, one, and I'm, I'm leading the witness here a little bit because <laughs> one of the things I wanted to do was kind of, and I haven't told John and Emily this, but John Pigeon and Emily Wallace host My Millennial Property Podcast, and they're both professionals in their own right. And just by chance, Annie had reached out to um, both of them or one before the other. You can share the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you paid professionals for their help and you got an outcome. So, maybe just rewind and talk about the process of you leaving the relationship. Were you renting somewhere temporarily? Were you both still living in the home by and separated? What was that process? And then- uh, purchasing your own house. Talk to, talk to us about that. Sure. Um, we'd been renting together and he moved out into a new place. So then straight away um, you've got the same amount of money covering two rental properties. So I really wanted to buy. Um, it, like obviously from you've heard me say like this, is, this has been my goal forever. I, I wanted to live in a place and I started number crunching against my rent against buying and realized that I could do it, but it was going to be tight. So this is, you know, the property market's going bananas. Um, I live in the north of Melbourne where um, properties that used to cost 50 grand are now <laughs> over a million. So uh, it, it was a really wild landscape, but I thought, you know what, I can do it. It just depends on what style of property. Like the question wasn't whether I could buy, given I was spending, um, I think, 550 a week on rent of this family home. Like the question is not like, can I buy? It's what can I buy? Can I buy in the place that I want to be in? Do I have to go further out? You know, so I just started looking around and it was a lot like I'm you know, trying to sort out my finances. I'm trying to care for the kids. I'm trying to figure out what life looks like after the relationship and trying to buy. And then like, you know, spending all my time looking at different styles of properties and wildly different and not understanding often why this crummy old place would go for $1.2 million, which was just wildly outside what I could afford or like really nice places for much, it just, it was making much sense to me and it was sucking up a lot of my time um, and just emotional energy. There's so much to learn with home buying and so many things to check off and real estate agents coming at you every Monday with phone calls. It's, it's a lot to do even in a couple. And I think as a single, it's even more overwhelming. So you did a clarity call with John Pigeon, was that right? Yeah. So long-term listener. Um, yeah. And, and I got to the point where I would the three hundred the cost of it. I think three hundred ish. Three fifty, I think. Three fifty. Yeah. Okay, so the three fifty at the start of the process, I'm like, why would I pay someone to tell me what I can learn on the internet? 
as I got further into the process, I realised that so much emotion was going on for me with this buying process that I was feeling just not up to it. I was doubting myself. I had everybody had an opinion on what I should buy. And I was even looking at these, I found myself looking at a townhouse that on paper was perfect, right? Like it was in my budget, it was new, seemed well built, and I felt sad about it. And I why I don't understand why do I feel so sad about this seemingly logical purchase. I'm like, right, okay, it's gotta be worth $350 on hundreds of thousands of dollars to talk to someone who does this every day and who doesn't have any emotional investment in what I'm about to do. Um, so I gave him a call. It was so helpful because instead of, oh, you should buy new, he sat down and went, what do you, what do you want? Like, what's, Dick, tell me about your feelings. <laughs> like, it was almost therapy, right? <laughs> so we're having this therapy session. I'm like, I really want to learn how to renovate a house. I really... Like, first of all, I feel like these townhouses that have two sinks are just mocking me and my single status. Um, I don't want to move into a place where everything will never be nicer than the day I buy it. I want something that I can put sweat equity into. I, I want that experience. I want to make something better with my hands. And mm. he's like, yeah, and that's a really good financial decision too. Buy a terrible house on a really nice street. Like, buy a piece of junk. And that that validation of like, go buy the piece of junk and fix it up from someone who's done this before just felt so calming. Um, mm. And I came away going, yeah, like that's what I want to do. I don't want a townhouse. I want to buy something that I can spend the next 20 or 30 years making something beautiful out of something potentially pretty ugly. Um, spoiler alert, that's what I have. <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of the uh, the logic behind it all. It's like the logic and reason says, get the brand new house, no maintenance. Um, I'm a single woman and it needs to be nice and mm. blah, 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 you know, all that stuff that, you know, all the advice you're probably getting from people like, just do that, just do that, might be cheaper or whatever. Yeah. But then we go and it's like, well, no, I want to fix her up. I want to get yeah. my hands dirty. Right. I'm a homebody. I need to scratch that itch. So, to that point, all the other crap goes out the window and sometimes we yeah. need someone else to just shrug their shoulders and go, all right, we'll do that then. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> permission. Permission to yeah. go with your heart. Um, and, and, in fact, like he's like, actually, and also that makes great financial sense, so bloody do it. Like, yeah. Cool. So, how did, you, um, how did you go about finding the house? Because you said you did some work with Emily. I did too. So I kind of assumed that she would be too busy, you know, being a famous podcaster and all. Um, but uh, John was like, look, you know, I, I don't know if she's got room to give her a call. Because she does and have a wait list. She does have a wait list. But yeah. uh, I think I just hit exactly the right time. Yeah. And she does like a free consult. So we called up and we had a chat. And again, I would not have thought that spending that money on something I thought I could do myself would be a good idea. Like, um, why would I give you money to, when I can get on the real estate apps and go out and put the sweat in, you know? Again, I'm that kind of person. I want to save money. I want to do the sweat instead. But I realized really quickly that actually she could do something I can't. So she had, she and Kobe, who works with her, um, have all of these contacts and all of this knowledge about 
the area that I was buying in and buying in general that took all the work off my shoulders. So we had this initial chat. They're like, yep, we think we can help you. Actually, they took a couple of days, which I liked. We, we had the chat about what I wanted and they said, give us a couple of days. We're going to go away and research and see if we can get what you want, which is pretty specific. Like I wanted to stay in this area. I had to have a place for the kids. They researched it. They spent that time and came back and went, yeah, we can definitely help you. So, that's just like on that, that's mm. a really healthy professional move from them as well because it wasn't just like, oh, here's someone, we'll just sign them up, take their money and give it right. a shot. It's like it had to work. Yeah. And actually at the time they had a competing, well, a potentially competing profile. So, there was someone right. who was looking on their books who was looking for what I was looking at but had very specific needs and a much bigger budget. So they're like, look, we can help you, but we're going to make a deal here. You know, we'll shave a bit off the fee, but you have to be like taking the ones that they reject. <laughs> like bring it at me because I'm never going to be able to afford like what these people could do. Um, so that was perfect for me too. And I liked having that really frank discussion about what they were going to do, whether they could help me, whether it would even be like ethical to have me on the books. And we, I think we got mm. to a really good place. So, what was the process once you engaged with Emily? So nice. So, I went from being out every Saturday and every Tuesday and calling people up to uh, there was a WhatsApp chat, chat on my desktop. So, I'm working away at my regular job and my WhatsApp is pinging with, we've just been to see this place for you. Um, here's the pros and cons. Here's a little video walkthrough. Uh, here's what it would cost. Like, So, you get like the place that they'd seen for me and their thoughts on it. Um, and they would see stuff that I would never notice. I remember one property, I fell in love with it, and Emily just says, it's got no driveway. Like, And, yeah, you look at the street and there's no way to get your car from the carport to the street. And, like, I, I would never have seen this. But because she's dispassionate, because she's done it so much, she's used to, like, I think she's got a checklist in her head, which I didn't have. And we were seeing properties that were not listed regularly. So, like, most of the properties they were showing I would never have had access to, um, never made it to the apps, or when they did, they'd be full of people and they would just go for way above what I could afford. Um, so, it was that privilege, really, first of all, of not having to do the the boots on the ground, and secondly, of having that access and thoughtfulness of, like, this is a good buy that you wouldn't have found somewhere else. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that because, you know, spending the money on a buyer's advocate, like mm. you would probably get some change out of maybe 15 grand between ten to $15,000, right? Yep. That's yep. a luxury within yep. itself. Um, so, we've got to acknowledge that. But the house that you're currently sitting in now, that that tell us about the current house that you actually ended up buying and was it one that Emily and and Kobe found for you? Yeah. Well, here's where you save money with a buyer's advocate, even if it's a terrifying amount of money. Um, the house that I'm in was owned by a family with, like, they'd, they'd outgrown it. Their kids were too big. They had too much stuff in it. They'd really let it fall into disrepair. So, it was full of stuff. It was pretty ugly. It had holes in the walls. Like, it, it, let's be clear, everything in this house is a little bit broken. Um and they except called up you the, and the kids. Except me and the 
and the kids, we are doing just great. The dog, not so sure. Um, (laughs) They called up their real estate agent on a Thursday and said, we'd like to sell this place, but it's really not looking great. Should we take a few months to make it nice and style it up and get it on the market for like maybe February? Their real estate agent knew that Emily was looking for someone who wanted something like that. So instead of going, yeah, make it pretty, his first step was to say, Emily, do you want to come see it? So that's the Thursday. Friday we go see the property. Wow. Um, Yeah, I get to walk through it. And, yeah, it's dingy and dark and broken, but also it's got a beautiful layout. It's in a gorgeous street, like the nicest street. Um. It's got a little bit of garden. It's a standalone house, which I didn't think I could afford. And I say to Emily, like, what are they looking for? And she said, high eights. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I think they're undervaluing this. And that was the discussion we had when we left. Like, yeah, they're probably undervaluing this because it looks so bad right now. So I took the Saturday to see everything on my app list just to sort of get to that feeling because I'd had a good feeling about it, but I wanted that Mm. certainty. Like I went and saw probably 15 properties that day just to be like, yeah, my gut's right. I like this place. I want to do the work to fix this place up. And we made an offer on Sunday and it was accepted and signed on Monday. So again, the beauty of of an advocate is I said, how much should we offer? Like I didn't have to think about how much we should offer only if I could afford it. So I said to Emily, like, what do you think? She said 880. We made the offer of 880 and it came back as 890. Like, cool, done. Like, wow. put a pin in it, we're done. How much of a deposit did you put down? Uh, I put down, I think, just the 10% that I had to. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and the, on pay- the on the property, I paid ten percent deposit to to secure the property, sure, um, and then twenty percent on my loan. Right. Okay. Cool. Now, that's just a fantastic testimony of, you know, your mindset of oh, I think I'll have to get a townhouse. Oh, there's a new one here. To oh no, I can actually get what I want. And what my yeah. passion is, and it's not a bad financial decision given the climate, the market, and whatnot. And then a buyer that could, hey, this is what I really want, and right. within a matter of days, you were into a home. Or actually, what was the total process for Emily? She really covered everything. Um, yeah, like, but know, in gave, terms of time, uh, bet- how much between time? like engaging her and then making that offer? I think we were done in less than three weeks. Wow. From go to woe. Um, wow. She and Kobe just hit the ground and saw everything. It gave me a lot of options. And it was easy for me because I didn't have to go out and see all these options. could just mm-hmm. say, yep, not, yep, like I'm feeling that one. I'm not. So that three weeks was probably three to six months of what it would have taken me to get comfortable with that on the ground. Plus, if this place had been cleaned up and come to auction, I would not have got it for that price. Yeah, what do they, what do they reckon it may have went for one Point one nine eighty nine fifty. Probably not. The place next door is um, started out identical and was completely renovated and went for one point one. So that gives me um, that certainty that if I make it nice over the years, then like I'll make 
money and have a place to live. So I'm happy. And how long have you been in the place now? I think I've been here. I've been here since uh, February. So a few months now, just enough to unpack the boxes and paint the fence. (laughs) And have you done anything cosmetic inside, ripped up the carpet, burned it it in the shower? (laughs) (laughs) I I did get forensic cleaners through. uh, Yeah. And- Oh, you should have, it, it was amazing the difference that we had six guys scrubbing the walls with chemicals and when they left, I, I reckon I put 20 or 30 grand on the price of the house. Like it just feels different now mm. that there's a bit of light. So apart from that, all I've done it is fill it with plants, which fixes everything. Um, and, and now I'm working my way down a really, really long list, starting with make sure the electrics are safe. Uh, and the roof is on, um, and then I'll get to making it pretty after that. Awesome. I wanted to do actually a a series, um, and I still will, uh, talking with uh, single women about their experiences with money. And I was going to talk to someone in their 20s and their 30s. I mean, you're barely in your 40s, um, so you can kind of scrape in, and this could be the first unofficial episode. But in the Facebook group, I wrote, did a shout-out for some questions, And I'm just going to throw you a couple of questions just off the cuff, right? Cool. All right. Uh, So, Jenny Kepler said, what point do you feel like you're doing okay? So, given the journey that you've been on, at what point did you feel like you were doing okay financially or with your life? When I knew I had a plan that I could action and that's now. So, I've got a house. I'm confident that I can pay it off before I retire. Even if I'm starting late, I'll be right. And I know my super will be enough that my kids will not have to worry about supporting me and I will be able to leave them something. And for me, that is enough. That's amazing. Awesome. Isabel Fawcett, she wanted to know, I think she said she's in her early 20s, Like, what are some of the healthy financial habits that you've developed and that you have? Being in touch with your money. Not looking at it doesn't mean that it goes away. Um, And having savings gives you freedom. Um, Know where you're at. Like, be aware of your money. And and if you're going to share your money with someone, think about it like you would think about a business partner. If I'd started a business with my ex and we'd gone, all right, we've got this really big goal of like buying a property, we'll kind of, we'll do that someday. We don't know when or like how, but, but we'll do it. Like no one starts a business that way. Right. Mm. And love is amazing. And I love love, but do you put a plan together and protect yourself and make sure that both of you are going to be okay if the love doesn't work out? Mm. What would you do, you know, if someone walked through the door tomorrow um, and you found yourself in another relationship, like, based on that, how would you go about it? And I know it's early days, it's only been 12 months and you're getting settled, but surely you've got, you know, some key things. I'm open to love. Um, Okay. I don't think that I would ever get married and join finances in that breath with anyone. I don't feel any more. I did it in my 20s because that's how things were supposed to be. 
And I think that's worth interrogating a little bit. So like if you're in your 20s, like have a, have a think about this. Like do you need to join your finances with someone? Do you need to like go down that relationship escalator? Like I, if someone walked in the door tomorrow and I was in love with them, then I think that's a conversation. Do we live together? Do we live apart together? Um, like what does our life look like? Can we decide that between the two of us? Um, with this property, I could absolutely see myself living with someone and maybe renting this out, but that would be something I would decide logically with someone. Plus now I've got kids. I need to protect my money. Um, so it's not, it's not as easy as it maybe was when you're in your twenties and you've got nothing joining it together seems very smart. Um, when you're later in life and you've got some assets, you got to be a bit more careful. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine the older we get, you know, I would imagine most of the time people around similar ages may have similar life stories and assets and a level of, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm keen to, you know, date you and look for the future with you. Mm. And we know it's really not based on, like, we've got our own lives, <laughs> Like, it's yeah. not as if, you know, you're about to date someone who's just left school or university. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's right. just like, yeah. I'm not the only one who's going to come into this with some stuff they want to protect and a life yeah. that they don't want to really give up. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, it's it's funny. You're not talking about just mushing your stuff together because people have got stuff going on. Mm. Yeah. Hayley Hawke says, how do they factor health into their finances and has this changed over the years? And I guess if it's not health, for you, it's your family, right? Like, how are you factoring in the kids? You you mentioned before that, you know, you've got a priority to protect them and protect your yeah. own money because of that. Yeah. Are you doing anything else practically with the kids around money? Um, actually, health and protecting the kids is, is they're both financial priorities. I spend mm. more on my health now because I have a responsibility to be healthy and be there for them. Um mm. And and I financially prioritise things that they need. So I set money aside for them and I set time aside to teach them about money. Um, money wasn't something that I grew up talking about. Um, it was a bit of a mystery and I think I'm that cautious saver in part because I treated it like a security blanket. You know, if I have savings, I'll be okay. You can't depend on it just coming in the next day. Um I prefer that my kids have the opportunity to learn what things cost, how you get money, how you treat it, saving, spending, giving, like making sure that all of those things are part of their life. Mm. Is there anything else that you wanted to add just as we're finishing up that you may have mentally prepped that you wanted to get across? Or, you know, we've got a lot of younger listeners, uh, younger than you and I, mm. like, is there anything that you'd want to just say or anything I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? We've touched on this a bit before, but it's really important to me to say, if people are younger now um, and you're listening, make sure that you have your own financial plan and your own savings. Make sure that you're working on your own career, depending on someone else. If I had depended on someone else, I would not be on this podcast talking about my successful, happy end of a relationship and happy purchase of a house. Like I am in such a good position now 
And that privilege is something that's due to having a good career, you know, and looking after myself as well as my family. And too many people think that someone else is going to look after them and end up in a much less happy situation. Be the happy one. It doesn't mean you can't join your finances and look after someone else at the same time, but, geez, don't don't forget about yourself. Yeah, that's really, really helpful because a lot of the times, like, we put things off as well, don't we? I'll yeah. do this when or Women take a break like to look after the kids, right? Mm. Like, they take time off thinking, oh, I'll stay at home because it's cheaper than childcare. Well, it might be now, but then when you haven't got a job and your ex does, where does that leave you? Like, you've always got to take both of you into account and take your future into account too. Make sure that if something were to go wrong, you could leave. And that feel will make your relationship more secure anyway. It's a win-win. Absolutely. Well, Annie from Melbourne, thank you so much for sharing a bit about your life, your story, and the good experiences that you have had uh, getting into your current home. So, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Glenn. This is really fun. Thank you for the therapy. Much appreciated. Hey, I'm just here to listen. (laughs) (laughs) It's great fun. Cheers. All right. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.